you're listening to the GamesIndustry.biz podcast. I'm Rebecca Valentine, and I'm joined today by... Matt Handrahan. Marie D'Alessandri. As well as a special guest from Digital Foundry, John Linneman. Hi, John. Hey, how's it going, everyone? It's going all right. We're glad you're here with us. Uh, so we're yeah. normally here to discuss the latest games industry news and headlines, but this is a pretty quiet week for business news. Um, so instead, we have brought John on to join us uh, to chat about the next generation of consoles. Uh, we've discussed the PS5 and the Xbox Series X and S multiple times on this show. Uh, but so far, every time we've discussed them, it's been in the context of like a recent announcement or showcase or something. Um, and I think the last time I, I'm kind of spitballing here a little bit, but I think the last time we talked about them here, there was still sort of, we all sort of had this expectation that we would be getting like, I don't know, more info. Like there would be something else. This is like weeks ago and we were like, oh yeah, surely there's going to be something else to come out. We'll learn something new about them. I don't know. I, I feel like we've arrived at three weeks to launch like very abruptly. Does, I don't know. Does anyone else just feel like, you know, everything about this has just been kind of odd? Absolutely. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that, um, I think I, I definitely did feel that way, but one of the reasons why John is here with us um, is that Microsoft in particular has been sending out these systems and putting them into people's hands. And we have been getting at least some sense now coming through over social media and, and various articles on various websites of what these machines are actually like to use, which I think is obviously this is a very weird year. It's COVID year. And the thing that the obvious thing that's missing, I, I've, I was I started as a games journalist just before the Xbox 360. So I've seen this is the third console transition that I've seen. Um, and hands-on is such a big thing. And with new consoles, there will be a way for any number of different people to get hands-on. E3, consumer shows, that kind of stuff. Um, trade shows, various things. Um, but this year, the people who've managed to actually use this hardware in advance, it's actually a fairly small number of trusted people that, that the console companies have been sending the hardware out to. And obviously Digital Foundry, which is kind of part of uh, the, the same family that Games Digital Biz is, is one of the most respected places for these kinds of impressions to, to be published on the internet. So I think Digital Foundry must have been one of the first places to, to, to get sent the Xboxes at least. Um, yeah. yeah, it's an interesting situation, you're right, because... Normally, we would have those shows to rely on. I mean, I remember for PlayStation 4 as well, you know, playing that back at Gamescom 2013. You really started to get an impression of what it was all about, like, well before it released. I mean, they were even letting the public come up and check it out. You know, that was what it was like. But they've taken a very quiet, more, like, secretive approach this time. And it's hard to know if this was the original plan or if it's just the COVID situation has sort of necessitated a change in strategy. But... It is interesting to see. It does seem to be working for them in terms of hype building. Whereas on the Microsoft side, as you said, um, they've been a lot more open from the beginning and just sort of sharing information about the system as it comes online. Uh, and yeah, we were out there in March to check it out along with uh, Austin Evans, super nice dude. And yeah, you know, that was our first chance to sort of see the system in action, play around with working prototype units, see the inside of it. So... You know, seeing that it has arrived now, it kind of feels like something that I was already a little bit familiar with uh, versus the PS5, which is a mystery. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that Sony has uh, across the board, it seems like it's been like one or two steps behind Microsoft with a bunch of significant news, like launch date, price, like everything, really. I think that the, the impression created is that Sony... Everyone's been caught a little bit flat-footed this year, but the Sony may be a little bit more so than Microsoft. We, well, we, we learned so, about... So, yeah, go on, John. No, I mean, the thing is, though, and is that it kind of feels like their slow reveal strategy is actually working. Uh, on, the you know, obviously, on the PlayStation side, you mean? On the PlayStation side. You know, obviously, we're, we have our YouTube channel. We can see pretty quickly where people have a lot of interest. You can also check out other channels and Sony themselves. Anything, any little bit of news drop on PlayStation 5, it makes a huge impact on people. There's so much attention, so much hype, excitement there. It's like by leaking out so little information, they've somehow managed to ratchet up the hype level to a much higher level than you would expect, I guess. Uh, versus Microsoft, which I really appreciate them being super open about this stuff from the beginning, but it's been a little bit tougher for them to, to gain that same sort of, um, you know, traction that Sony has right now, I feel. Okay. Uh, do you think, do you think that that might, 
at least in some part, sort of be a symptom of how both Sony and Microsoft are coming at this generation, though, right? Like, Sony is coming from a place of strength. They already have what, I don't remember what the last number is, but just just an absurd amount of PS4s out there. And so I, no matter what, there was already this giant audience that was really excited to see what they were going to do next. Whereas Microsoft, I feel like if, my, if, if the strategies were switched, if Sony was like giving tons of information and Microsoft was holding its cards really close to its chest, I feel like people would be looking at Microsoft and going, oh, yeah. hey, uh, what are you guys doing? Are you guys going to tell us what, I, they're not doing anything. I don't know. I guess we'll go hang out with Sony, right? No, I, I think you're completely right about that. It's the same kind of situation as it was with PS4 and Xbox One. And that's, you know, that actually hurt Microsoft then. They were coming out of a position of strength with 360. And the way they kind of approached that in a maybe overconfident manner didn't work out for them. Uh, and now Sony has, you know, they, they obviously had issues with the PS3 launch with that same approach. But this time, uh, you know, coming from PS4, it feels like they somehow found their niche in that sense but well, maybe not niche that's perhaps not the right word in this case well, I, find, but I find it you know what i mean yeah but it's, I, I find it sort of somewhat difficult to tell i guess because you're right you know the, the with ps3 was a much more secretive thing but then ps3 was the last time sony like made a console so kind of weird and arcane that it was actually difficult to work with so there was kind of a reason for that secrecy there was a lot more they were a lot more open around ps4 i, I don't I think the Microsoft sort of overshared about the wrong stuff, and that was what put them behind. But I don't recall Sony being notably more secretive than Microsoft back then. It's just Microsoft started off on the wrong foot and never quite recovered. <clears throat> the question now is whether the secrecy this time is a strategy or a strategy that's a response to like the practical problems of, of, of getting the console out this year. I mean, do we know the PlayStation 5 launch lineup yet? Have they said what that is or Ooh, I I mean, we have we a do. fairly good idea i mean aside from from the th aside from the third party stuff and i don't remember well, all no but that's what i mean so like microsoft I mean, uh, like two weeks ago said these are the games that are available day one. Oh yeah, yeah yeah has sony done that yet that's the thing um, sort of sort of yeah i don't think there's yeah. been an official post in the same way xbox did it's it's list but i think it is known through the very few videos and stuff like that they released announcing the game so we know more or less what's coming out um but Here, I, I was i was stalling a little bit to pull up a list uh <laughs> uh so launch game launch day games include demon souls and destruction all stars also Sackboy, a big adventure marvel spider-man miles morales uh that I'm sure, I think there might be a couple. Ast isn't Astro Astro what, Astrobot? What is Astrobot. I, I always accidentally say Astro, Astro Boy. Um, Astrobot. <laughs> I, I think that's a launch launch day game as well. It is. Yeah. Sorry, Marie. Please continue. Um, no, I, I don't really know what I was going to say, to be honest with you. Uh, I was just replying to the launch uh, thing, but I don't know. Th this old strategy from from PlayStation is a bit confusing to me. Like uh, the whole. Um, secrecy thing like just not uh, releasing a lot of info at once is might be working from them for them but i find it extremely frustrating as well because um as someone who enjoyed playstation hardware i ended up being fascinated by this video they did where they like uh, looked inside of the PS5 and showed every component and stuff. And like, I really don't usually care about that stuff, but because there's nothing else, I ended up being quite fascinated by it. Same with the UI um, reveal. Usually don't care that much about UI, but find it super interesting. And I'm like slightly annoyed that I'm interested by this. Stuff. It's just because there is nothing else to go by. I feel like, I don't know, where is the hype is kind of my issue with, with the next generation uh, at the moment. I feel like there's no hype one way or another. Like I'm talking about PS5 right now, but I don't feel like a lot of hype for Xbox either because I feel like there's so few games. It's just been overall very, very weird for me. So, I mean, but, but just to, to kind of follow up on what you were just saying, Marie, where where normally would the hype come from? It's the you're, when you're saying where is the hype? Where is the hype? Do you mean specifically there are not enough games to get excited about? Because I think so. Yeah. For example, like and like you're you're annoyed about being having to be excited about the UI. I actually am genuinely excited about some of that UX <laughs> stuff I saw because I think it's legitimately quite exciting. Like the activities concept. I do love it. it sounds amazing. Like sounds genuinely like it Absolutely. could completely change the way people. Like that for me is a next gen feature. Much so, more yeah, so yeah, than yeah. than uh, even like a, a new Horizon game or whatever. Yeah, like the Horizon, the next Horizon game, when it comes along, you you can end up playing it and think, well, this could easily have been done on the PS4. <clears throat> when you're looking at next gen for me, I want to see some 
pointers, and maybe this is where we can actually tap into a little bit more of your specific knowledge, John. Some pointers that the, the kind of the list of specifications, which mean a great deal to some people and not that much to, I think, probably a, most of the people on this podcast right now. But the, I, want, I want some pointers of what that actually means for the user experience, basically. And I think that that's something, maybe that's where the games do come in, right? The games can show you a little bit more of what it means to have this new console and what that means for the kind of games you'll be playing and the kind of experiences you can have. And um, maybe that's the kind of thing that's been a bit missing in terms of the hype side. Well, real quick. So real quick before you answer yeah. that breaking news, uh, I just glanced on Twitter and I see several journalists have just gotten PS5s for review literally oh. just now. <laughs> so they're out there. folks. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Continue. They're out there. <laughs> I wish I had, I wish I had one right now. That would be, nice. be awesome. <laughs> but um, what was I thinking? Oh yeah. So, the thing is, is I, I've talked about this before where, you know, usually a next generation console launch, it's sort of met with you see something new, something that you maybe haven't seen before. And that's what gets you excited. But I think we've entered a new uh, sort of arena of game development over the last you know decade where the limiting factor is less the hardware now and more the manpower and budget. I've said this before, and that's right now, like whether a game has as you might say, beautiful, impressive, cutting-edge graphics, it's more about, like, how much money you have to develop this, how many people are working on it, you know, your technology base, and less about the actual box itself. It used to be the opposite. Like, if you look at PlayStation to PlayStation 2, there were so many new hardware features added to the system that were just, like, it's, like, instantly accessible to developers. You know, oh, now you can filter textures. Oh, now they're uh, perspective correct. You can do all these particles. Like, you just do all this new stuff. Uh, it's it's right there. Not that it was easy to develop for, mind you. But this time, it's like, well, it's just kind of an extension of where we've been now. Uh, there's definitely some new capabilities here. But uh, whether or not you can fully tap into it and really showcase it, again, it just hinges upon the size of your team, the amount of money you have going into the project, all these things. And I think this combined with maybe the COVID stuff a little bit has kind of like made it so that there's not that many games launching that really look unlike anything we've ever seen before, which is different from last time. But do you think that when the companies that have those sorts of resources are able to apply those resources that the, the architectures that you've seen and you know and and you know that you're aware of will be able to create that kind of experience where you're like wow that's yes. that's unlike anything. yes yeah. yes I do think that and there's there's a few key reasons first of all the storage situation uh, the move to these ultra fast SSDs like that can be a true game changer beyond just loading screens it's more about it changes the the way you fundamentally can design a game. Like you can think about how your worlds are built differently. You can think about how you move between different areas. Like, you know, normally you had to consider, okay, if I want to get from point A to point B, uh, I need X amount of time to get all the assets into memory and kind of render it all out. Whereas now it's like, it's fast enough where you can be like, well, what if I wanted to cut to this other completely different place with its own unique art assets or something, or like do something just really crazy with, with the progression or just, you know, completely eliminate loading but not have to set up your world in a way that's like, you know, defined by how fast you can load stuff. That's that's a potentially big thing. Uh, then there's this, you know, the CPU side of the equation. The CPUs are were extremely limited in PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. Uh, barely more capable than what was in PS3 360. We kind of stalled out on what can be done there and games were defined by this. Even on the PC where... You know, you're making multi-platform games. You still had to take these slow Jaguar CPUs into account, and that did influence what was possible in a lot of cases. Uh, now developers are freed from these shackles, and I think you can hopefully expect to see this both push things like higher frame rates, but also allow them to potentially do more complex physics, larger, more complex interactive worlds, you know, things like that. Just stuff where the CPU was previously a bottleneck, maybe it's not so much now. And then lastly, you have stuff like, you know, ray tracing, the new visual features on that sense, which um, the fact that we have real-time ray tracing in a new console, I know, you know, people see, oh, it's just reflections or just lighting or something. But I mean, this is moving towards what the film industry uses, right? Like it's a, it's a fundamental change in the way graphics are drawn. And I think 
we're seeing cool stuff with it now, but I think over time we're going to see a lot more really cool stuff with it. Do you think at all that we have not, do you think that we have not seen, uh, how do I phrase this? So this was a bad year. Uh, COVID COVID made it a very bad year. Um, We know that there have been a lot of games that have been publicly delayed. I presume there are many games that have been, silently delayed or that would have been announced but did not get announced yet as a result. Uh, Do you think that we would have seen more using of all these capabilities you've just listed kind of closer to launch um, than we are seeing now? Does that make sense? Is that a real question? Yeah, no, I know what you're saying. And I thought about that as well. Um, I'm not entirely sure because we're, we're faced with that. Well, developers are faced with the same issue. Whereas, making a launch game is really brutal, right? Um, and I just don't know if if you really have the time to put in to create something that takes full advantage of these features when it's so new and you got to hit launch. And, you know, that's, I think launch titles is where you would typically see, like, new flashy visuals, not necessarily, like, game-changing designs. I mean, that's what we saw last time, you know, Killzone Shadowfall, Rise, Son of Rome, uh, those were stunning-looking games, much more impressive than anything we'd seen on previous-gen consoles, but they weren't revolutionary games by any means, and there were still plenty of issues with each of them, uh, and that's kind of what you get a lot of times with launch titles, especially in this day and age when games are expected to be so much more complex and deep, uh, unfortunately, sometimes. Um, so I don't think it would have changed much, to be honest, uh, I think the big miss for me, it's just in terms of like big titles, is you know Cyberpunk got delayed multiple times, right? It's one of the most hyped games for a lot of people. I think having that support, like genuinely support these new consoles on day one, uh, could have been one of those big killer apps because we've not seen the PS4, Xbox One versions. Maybe they're great, but knowing how ambitious that game is, uh, I have a hard time believing it's gonna be you know we just don't know but i think you know if it had been like truly ps5 and xbox series x compatible on day one with all kinds of cool new features i think that would have been like whoa look at this you know i gotta go out and get this console to play this and then maybe i'll pick up some other games as well um but yeah that's kind of so that's the kind of thing that might have been impacted by this situation this year but I don't think we would have seen too many real game changers nonetheless. Yeah, I suppose you're right. Like at the start of the generation, like the best you can hope for is some like, you know, like Rise, Son of Rome, they pushed push the polygons better than previous games. But whether or not they actually truly take advantage of the hardware in that more fundamental sense is is kind of uh, is more dubious, I guess. And you, generally you need to wait a year or two before you start seeing stuff like that, because developers need the time to, to get to grips with it all. And, and obviously... Well, I mean, obviously, it would, the, this kind of hardware, the, these hardware specs would have been in the hands of developers. But yeah, it's um, the thing with both of these launch lineups is though that I'm. I think we discussed it last, uh, maybe last week, maybe maybe the week before, where you look at the Xbox lineup in particular, and, and there isn't really even a rise some of some of Rome to get to get excited about. Like even that level of game doesn't seem to be there. Like the Miles Morales seems to be the big one on um, on PlayStation, but even that's a kind of I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I, I'm sure it is a full sequel, but it is also kind of an expansion pack for a game that came out three years ago. So there is, in both of these, I'm, I'm looking at the PlayStation 1 now, in both of these, I think there is just... I think Demon's general... Souls will do, will do some yeah. numbers. Yeah, it will, but is it... I think that's yeah. going to be really I, good. I, I know, I'm sure it's... I don't really know if good. that's I guess, enough. I guess it's a remake of an old... Again, you know, it's... I think it's more like that kind of new IP type Oh, but thing, it's a nice-looking nice remake. <laughs> well, the thing is, though, is that... The the Souls games weren't that popular when Demon Souls hit, and Demon Souls itself is locked to PlayStation Three. There's no other real easy way to play it. Uh, I suspect that a lot of Souls fans haven't played it, and what Blue Point is doing with the game seems to be so ambitious to the point where it's it's like a remake plus, if you will. It is it's, it's not just like oh this is the same game with new graphics. I think there's a little bit more to it than that. Um, I mean I finished just about all the Souls games, but I never actually finished Demon's Souls. I mean, I bought it back in the day when it came out, but I only got a little bit of the ways into it and somehow never went back. So, you know, for me, it's basically a new game, and I suspect I'm not alone on that. I just don't feel like that's... 
quite enough for like mainstream players as well uh, this lineup not demon soldiers in particular um but i guess that's what i was trying to say earlier when i was like where is the hype is despite being like really loving spider-man for instance um i actually haven't even pre-ordered that game because i don't feel like that that's enough good enough um as as a launch title um so yeah i guess i was just following up on what i was saying earlier i don't feel like that this lineup is is really strong on on either way um and i think what you were saying about cyberpunk even even if personally i do, do not want to play cyberpunk i think that would have indeed been been a title that i could have been a good um la launch title for both console uh, the other like the only other game i can think about that makes me like that excites me is assassin's creed valhalla but that is actually again not next gen um only i could literally play it on my ps4 um so i don't know i just feel like it's not a lot to go by yeah, I mean, so, yeah, sorry, got Garen. Yes. Actually, just from my, you know, the, I think the big miss here and the, the biggest, like, you know, whiff comes from Microsoft with Halo Infinite specifically, because based on the earlier previews that they've shown over the years, I think that they had been trying to push Halo Infinite to launch with Xbox Series X uh, for years. I think that maybe I'm completely off base, but it seems like this would have been an opportunity to bring Halo back in a big way alongside a new Xbox console, sort of channeling the original Xbox and, you know, like just do, do awesome things with that, I guess. And I think that the development troubles probably caught them a little off guard and the reaction wasn't what was expected. And I think that's the one area where they kind of slipped and, and otherwise, you know, they've done a really good job like leading up to launch, but that's the one area where you can tell like they almost had it there. Yeah. Well, I, I think that the, definitely the plan was <clears throat> for Halo Infinite to launch with the new Xbox. The, the question is exactly why it slipped and it, it's not really been plainly stated, but it's either the response to the footage, but I genuinely am not sure that is why I think it probably is more just the actual, the problem of getting a game finished and mastered and, and sent out in yeah. I, a game that important like it, it's just was not worth rushing out before time because internet reaction is important but it is still a much smaller number of people and they would want to play the game and I, I don't think it was a factor personally Matt at the risk of breaking my own rule that I mentioned a few weeks ago about not saying things that I wouldn't necessarily put in writing on a podcast um, I you are you, I think you are correct based on conversations I have had Well I mean I think that's fine we, we all have conversations then. Look, I, I suppose what I, what I would be interested in, though, because I think, John, you've, you've had hands-on with the Series X and the Series S. Am I, is that right? Um, I haven't actually had a hands-on with the Series S. But I'm assuming, like, as... About I've, seen the, I've seen the Series S. But as... Um, but, as a, but I don't have one. But, I, haven't, I haven't used it. But, written, you know, we have the, the DFX box. So. But, as a, but as a member of Digital Foundry, I guess you have some insight into the difference between those two. I mean, for me, a few podcasts ago, we actually went around and, and, said, and everybody said the, the console they would probably get on launch day if they had to get one on launch day. And mine was actually the Series S. But I was saying that without really knowing just how different the experience of using the X would be from it. I mean, knowing what you know and like having a better understanding of the technical side of this stuff, I mean, is, is there... Is the X so much more capable than the S that it, it genuinely is going to produce uh, in, say, two or three years' time, it's not going to be able to handle the sort of stuff that's being done at the high end? Well, what's your take on that? Um, my take is that the Series S is going to be a great machine for people that aren't that, like, you know, that aren't that picky about their visuals, maybe don't have the highest end TV, um, you know, they're fine with using Game Pass, things like that, right? For me, it's not, I, it just doesn't work necessarily. Well, I don't want to say that. I, I was going to say, you know, the big thing for me is that I love discs, 
like I don't want to give up having a disk drive and I think that that right there like really kills my interest in it but uh I do think that it is a smart move and I'll tell you why because and this is something we might want to discuss prices are going up on next gen games uh and you know this is the this is the first time I'm seeing that Microsoft Game Pass strategy and being like you know that actually um that might make a lot of sense for some people right like it's like you buy a cheaper system you have Game Pass on there you have access to a bunch of games uh it suddenly becomes a lot more affordable to get into sort of a next gen thing and where I suspect that S will miss out, I, I think the main thing is going to be it's going to be lower resolution. Primarily is where it's going to differ. So if you can deal with that, it's you know you might be totally happy with it. That's honestly where that, I, I think I said this on the podcast before. That that's exactly where I'm at. Like I'm a person. I have a Switch. I haven't really ever had an Xbox or a PlayStation. I've only had like Nintendo consoles and a PC. I'm about, I'm about two years from needing to upgrade my gaming PC if I want to keep using it. Um, and so as someone who doesn't like deeply care about having super high resolution and as someone who does care about budget, uh, the, the price difference is like incredible between the S and the X. Yeah. Well, and, and between the S and a PS5, especially because it's it's not only like several hundred dollars cheaper for the console. I was into, People are like arguing with me on Twitter about this. Like it's only a couple hundred more dollars. Yeah, but it's also, you know, 60 to 70 dollars for a bunch of individual games as opposed to 15 dollars a month for game pass and yeah i'll miss out on demon souls that's a bummer that game looks great but i'm gonna be so busy playing like 20 different really cool indie games i've never heard of on game pass i'm gonna stop thinking about demon souls pretty quick it's gonna be okay <laughs> well you just highlighted a thing that really irks me uh coming from the u.s originally and now living in europe is you said dollars and yeah, oh, seventy dollar games in the U.S. Right? Yeah. <laughs> that's not that bad. 70, that's not that bad. Quid, the sure. thing is, though, is that's what we've. That's basically what has been asked of us to pay this current generation. Right? Uh, there's a lot of games being sold for seventy euro when they're new over here in Germany, and I'm sure it's similar in the U.K. Uh, and now they're like, I'm looking at pre-orders for this stuff and like, oh, it's like 80 euros. You translate over, that over to U.S. dollars, and it's you're just shy of like a hundred dollars. Uh, and suddenly it's, it's just too much. I'm like, wow, that's, that's a lot. And add on top of that too. So like, we've also got, you know, there's like free to play games with microtransactions, like whatever, but we've now got like a bunch of full priced games that are trying to have longer life cycles and keep making money for years and years. And so they've got like tons of microtransactions and additional DLC on top of that. And then one of the news items that we were going to talk about today, if we had made this a normal news show is we were going to talk about how there, there've been a couple games this week. Uh, or some games recently that have started putting like these unskippable ads like in the middle of these full priced games, which is just utterly bizarre to me. Um, so it's it, it feels like we're constantly like paying paying more money and being inconvenienced in ways that we would only be inconvenienced in games that we were getting for free. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, like development costs are going, it's, it's a tough line to walk because like, I understand the development costs are going up and so they need to like find more ways to make money. But it also, I don't know, it, it feels like so much. Well, I think it ties yeah. quite <clears throat> closely to what John was saying earlier, right? Where the limiting factor on what a game can do is not the hardware, it's the amount of money that's being spent on, on making the game in the first place. And I think, well, I mean, you know, like I, I think it's a slightly different subject in that, whether or not insert you know EA inserting an, or was it Take Two or was it both I forget but <clears throat> let's just say it was both both of them inserting unskippable ads into games that already are going to cost you know seventy pounds seventy euros seventy bucks in this generation um, is greed or whether it's necessity I mean I would imagine they're probably making profit on both those products so it's probably not strictly necessary but the fact that but but you know we are. When you look at the new next generation, we're saying like, well, where's where's a game that's going to show us something that hasn't been seen before? And probably that means where is the game that's had more money spent on it than any other game has had yep. before? And yet we also want though the price to stay the same. And like this is a very common problem, I think, just in general in the modern world and the you know, digital entertainment is people want more and more and more for less, which is why I think Game Pass is such an appealing thing because it's, very, it's a very, very uncomplicated value proposition. You have less control over what you get to play, but you do get the promise of volume and you know, you're, you're, some of those games are going to be bleeding edge because Microsoft's going to make some of them, but the, but the majority probably won't be, right? The, the, fundamentally, you probably still do need to pay 
$70 on day one for, for that kind but of But them acquiring experience. Bethesda and saying they were going to put all that stuff in Game Pass too, that helped a lot. Yeah, that and does. And sticking yeah. EA Play on there. I mean, they, they just keep adding to it. But then I think that, that but then that's a test, right? So um, they've acquired Bethesda. I mean, Bethesda, you know, Starfield or whatever it is that comes next from Bethesda Game Studios, that presumably will be the kind of game that will have an enormous amount of money lavished upon it. Um, Maybe that, maybe whether that game is just in Game Pass or is released on PS5 speaks to how much it costs and the re and how realistically Microsoft can recoup its investment um, in that studio. You know, that's I. It is not simple to see how Microsoft justifies a 7.5 billion purchase purely in $10 a month subscriptions to Game Pass. At least not in the not in the near future, anyway. Because I think games made on that level probably do need to be sold in great great numbers at $70 a time to, to make sense financially. Also really quick just to clarify so that for, for the people who told us in our survey to stop doing off-the-cuff nonsense on podcasts um, it was NBA 2K21 that added unskippable ads to loading screens. Um, they, they backed away on that saying oh that was an accident we didn't mean to do that. Their response was like, it's so maddening to me because what they said is not like we didn't mean to do that. It's like we didn't mean to do that at this specific place in the game. It wasn't meant to run as part of the pre-game introduction is what it said. And that even like that angered me even more because I was like, so wait, like you're not even apologizing for doing this and like this thing that is really, really dumb. You're just apologizing for having put it at the wrong place. That's just mad to me. Um, and then several weeks or la last month, um, EA did something similar with UFC 4. It put ads for Amazon video series The Boys over the instant replays in fights. Um, EA didn't say it was an accident. They said, oh, sounds like nobody likes that, so we're not going to do that anymore. <laughs> anyway, so, sorry. That wasn't off the cuff. EA and Take Two. It was great. Well, yeah. Yeah. But I wanted I, to make sure it was I right. will say that... That's a weird thing, though. Like, weirdly enough, like, sports games are the one area, as long as they're not intrusive, where I could deal with, like, product placement and such, just because that's actually kind of true to real sports. You know what I mean? So uh, it somehow makes it feel more authentic. <laughs> Have you um, tried any of the backwards compatible stuff on Xbox Series X, John? Yes, And what's yes. your take on um, that? I've been reading some pretty encouraging uh, reports on what it can do for older games what's the uh, i mean is it is it consistently good is it does it vary from game to game what's your what's your experience with it uh, i think it's consistently good and i think the key is that it pretty much solves problems that any game might have had technically the games that were already pretty much perfect like you know you load up red dead redemption 2 it was already a locked 30 frames per second it was capped at that it's not really going to change much right but there's so many games last gen that had either frame rate issues, unsteady frame rates, loading problems pop in, you know, things like that. And the Series X just kind of cleans all that up. Uh, like one of the ones we were looking at was uh, Jedi Fallen Order, which I really enjoyed last year. Uh, but it was kind of a technical mess, right? The frame rate was a bit unsteady. There was tons of like loading and pop in, and freezing and things like that. And on Series X, it's just like locked 60 frames per second. None of those issues are there. Uh, you have, you know, HDR and games that didn't previously have HDR can benefit from auto HDR, which looks absolutely stellar in most cases. Um, so it kind of it's it's almost more like in the past backwards compatibility was like, OK, you can play your old games in the machine. That's great. Uh, but this time it's more like, well, you know, that feeling you get when you buy a new graphics card for your PC and suddenly you reinstall your old games and they look and run way better. Uh, that's kind of what Microsoft's brought to the console space. Yeah, I mean that, that's one of the thing. The talking to people I know who have have got the the Xbox already and have had it for a few weeks. The thing that that's most interesting to me is the way that from the moment they boot it up, they've actually got access to quite a lot of games because they've just got access to all the stuff they earned on the last stuff and Game Pass is there. And it's not it's not this kind of situation you've had with previous generations where you, you start out and you've really got very, very little to go on. Like you can pretty much pick up where you left off. And that's that's a kind of a new thing as well. At least to, to the extent that it's happening this time. And as you say, John, you, you have improvements to the older games as well. So all of a sudden it kind of enlivens your collection a little bit more too. Um, I'm not quite clear on, on exactly how, that, how that's being handled on the PlayStation side. Is, is Sony going in as much on, on um, souping up? We don't know, but the... John, uh, 
what they've said, said ahead of time kind of suggests that you will still get enhancements to things like um, frame rate if, if and everything. One so mysteriously appears I expect it'll be right similar. Now. I'm not no, sure we're going to no see rules, anything like no auto rules HDR, what, what are like the big questions you have? What are the first things that you want to test and like learn about this thing now that you have access to it? I mean, for me, the first things I would want to do is go through the menus and see how all the video options work, like what kind of displays it supports. Um, you know, obviously I would want to mess around with, you know, I would install whatever games I could, uh, that were new, but also of course, check out the backwards compatibility stuff. It's basically just like figure out how they've implemented all this stuff to see what, see what's there. Like that's usually kind of my first uh, port of call is just going through and understanding the full feature set, seeing what options are packed in there, messing around with the hardware itself, you know. Uh, installing games from from disc installing games from the internet you know just kind of poking at it like maybe that's not the most exciting fun thing to do with a new console but i you know for me it's like my curiosity is there about like all right how does this actually all come together so that's probably where i'd start before i actually sit down to play a game yeah it's interesting it's just an interestingly different <clears throat> approach because for me i suppose you know not not having the like really being able to grapple with what what these kind of technical specifications actually mean. I I interpret a new console through games. I think that's why a lot of the talk on this podcast, from our side at least, has been through you know whether there are games that excite us or not. Because it's it's less apparent, I think, when when you don't have when you aren't able to look at this stuff and really understand what it means. That that's the way you end up end up dealing with it. So it does make me think, though. There's another problem faced this gen that we haven't seen for a little bit. I mean, I guess it's always kind of true with new technology, but it's the TV equation, right? Uh, a lot of the features that these are promising, you know, 4K, 120 hertz, you know, some of these more advanced features that are inherent to these machines, they require a specific type of TV, right? If you want to take full advantage of everything that these consoles offer, there's less than 10 TVs or something on the market. It's just my estimate that actually support all of these features. Uh, it's very, very new technology. So I'd say like the overwhelming majority of people are not going to have this. And it, I have a two year old 65 inch OLED TV here. It's amazing. I just bought another one because I, 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 I wanted the one with the new features because I need it for testing. Wow. Wow. Can you believe that? Yeah, I mean, and so it's just like that, that's where we're at now. Like for me it being, you know, we have to cover this stuff and talk about the tech. So it made some no, no, sense, yeah, I mean, but, but that's your job. And most that's, people that's aren't going to want to do that. Cause when you said like, you know, that the Xbox series S is, I mean, I felt good about my choice because when you said the Xbox series S is for somebody who doesn't really, you know, have the latest display and doesn't care about this or that. I mean, you basically described me cause like I've got, I've got like a, you know, uh, I've got access to a, a decent TV. It didn't cost more than, you know, 500 pounds when it was bought, it was bought a year ago. So it's not, it's not bad, but it's certainly nowhere near uh, anywhere near a top of any kind of range or anything like that. I don't care about discs. So with, with that kind of approach to it, with that kind of mindset, do you think there is any real reason for someone to buy an Xbox Series X or a, you know, a, a, a disk drive PS5 versus like an Xbox Series S? Because I think that's the question that I most want to answer, whether is the disk question to one side and with a fairly average display, am I really going to get my money's worth out of like the top end? Well, here's the thing though, um, that while it is true that the displays are what they are now, uh, that's rapidly going to change. You know, a 4K OLED TV like like we have here, that didn't even exist when PS4 and Xbox One launched, right? Um, and now all of these types of technologies, like 4K is the default thing now. If you go to buy a new TV, it's, it's not easy to find a 1080p TV anymore. Whereas when these launched, that was the standard, right? So I kind of feel like it's almost better to spend a little more upfront on the higher end machine in that sense, because, you know, chances are good. Yeah. Like what if you're, you decide, you know, you end up upgrading your TV down the line and suddenly, Oh, now this console doesn't look very good on here. And now you have to upgrade that as well. And it just, uh, and it's not like you won't see a benefit from like the higher end machine in that sense as well. Like you get down sampling, you know, probably, I don't know how performance is going to shake out, but it'll still look better even if you can't take full advantage of it, but it's, it's kind of like future proofing and also things like discs. Again, uh, while Xbox does have game pass, not everything is on game pass. Um, going to retail stores, games go on sale a lot. Right. And like you walk in like, Oh dang, all these games are marked down to like 20 bucks 
or something. If you go to the online store, though, it's likely that they're not. They often retain their higher price more often. And if you buy an all-digital machine, you are locked into that infrastructure, right? You don't have a choice. You've got to go with their store. Uh, whereas if you have the disk drive support, suddenly, you know, obviously for me, I like collecting this stuff. For other people, it's like, well, I can get these disks cheaper. Uh and I can trade them in, you know, things like that. Like, this is all stuff that you lose if you go for an all digital machine. Yeah. I think it's important. So God like damn a- it, John. We didn't invite you on this podcast to make me regret, like, my, my purchasing decisions. I'm sorry. I'm asking one more question. Maybe we can rescue our, uh, our love of the Xbox Series S here, Rebecca. So I, I, when we talked about it, but I also think, like, this is genuinely, this is the, the, the S is the console that's bringing something reasonably new to the table, just in terms of, like, the, the entry point it offers to people. I know a lot of people, I think, will be quite tempted by that price plus Game Pass, as you alluded to earlier, John. When we talked to you about it, you've, you've kind of focused more on <clears throat> that side of it, like the, the kind of the position it sits at in the market and so on. But, like, if you just look at what the hardware offers... And the price it costs. I mean, is do you look at that and think like that's a good amount of performance for that amount of money? Or do you think that it really is only for one kind of person? But ultimately, if you like your games, you, you probably should just spend the extra 200. I think when you look at the price, so there's some good and bad there. And I think a lot of this ties into if you look at the individual components, right? Uh, the add-on SSD from Seagate that Microsoft is selling as well as other, um, I guess, modern Gen 4 PCIe drives for the PS5. That costs They're several expensive. money, yeah. They're over 200 for sure. Uh, that Xbox add-on drive, it's not far off from the cost of the Xbox Series S in itself, right? So that kind of gives you an idea of how expensive this storage technology still is. So the fact that they have that 299 box... Uh, knowing what's all in there, these they're taking a big loss on all the machines, I think. I mean, I don't know the numbers, but I, I'd say that they're taking quite a loss here to get these out at a cost that's like still reasonable. Like nobody wanted to do five ninety nine, clearly. Uh, but I bet that would have helped them out in that sense if that were possible. So but but the storage is important because and this is actually probably my biggest issue with the series s and again i don't know how you get around this because of cost but it has half the ssd space of the series x but it's an all digital machine so that means um you kind of have to juggle your games right it's only 500 gigs on there right are you, you okay rebecca games on there <laughs> So what you, I mean, what you can do is have like a USB external drive and like backup games to that and then shuffle them around as you need them. Maybe like that, maybe that's the solution. But the thing is though, is if you like, well, I got an Xbox series S maybe I'll buy the Xbox, um, add in SSD drive a little bit later when you combine the cost of those two, you're now uh, higher than the cost of a series X. So it's quite funny because the, the right? first half of this podcast, I was like kind of regretting not pre-ordering uh, an Xbox Series S. I was just like, oh, yeah, that does like very good arguments, very accessible console. It sounds like a great thing. And now second part of this podcast, I'm like, no, nah, I'm actually good with my PS5 in the end. <laughs> well, OK, hold on. So to at least talk about the storage thing, do we think Microsoft is reasonably going to put its xCloud services onto the console's like sometime in the next year or two, which would therefore Probably, not yeah. completely solve the problem, but at least solve some of the problem, right? Uh, I mean, if you're playing streaming, though, you lose so much quality. But I, I think I think the thing, though, again, the, and this is important, you're probably... So I play my, the, my games that I'm playing myself, but then I'm also playing games that I have to do for Digital Foundry. Uh, all of this stuff adds up, so I've got a ton of stuff installed, right? Um I'm not sure. I mean, how many games do you for your, foresee yourself needing to have installed actively on the SSD simultaneously? I'm glad. Especially two entire Call of Duty. I'm glad that you asked because I, 
because I am very weird when it comes to like just liking having a minimal number of things installed at any one time. <laughs> I actually actively enjoy deleting things when I feel like I've got too much. So I actually think this just ticks the box for the Xbox Series S so aggressively for me. Like I'm perfectly happy only ever having, I, I'm never playing more than one or two games at a time anyway. And, again, and I'm perfectly like happy said, with only think... having four or five around. Like I, I, I generally don't like... For some reason, just like the the the, the bounciest choice, just puts me off playing games when everything's at my disposal. So I tend yeah, to focus so, down so on just the stuff you're I fine. Know I'm on. You know, that's it. I, I think though, Rib, the, the the important thing is external hard drive. Just plug in a USB drive. You know, if you're like, oh, I need to download all this stuff, you can just copy it to the drive. I think, uh, and then you have it locally. And if you if you decide, okay, I want to play this again. Copy it back to the SSD. It's like shouldn't be more than like. I mean, this is just totally random guess, but like ten minutes at most. This is the first. You know, this not, podcast not is the first time deal. you and I've ever had a conversation, and I'm not sure I'm happy about the outcome. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not trying to put anybody off of these. No, it's, it's just. No, it's just a reality. But, it, but it's like, still a, it is still absolutely the correct decision for me. I'm just. But also, and I and it bears repeating. It costs three hundred dollars. Like, and this is. Like no no next gen console on day one has ever cost anything close to three hundred dollars. So you are you get what you pay for to a degree, but it does actually well, sound like you get more than what those dollars really ought to buy you at the same time. I mean, I guess it has been a while, but in the past, I mean, PlayStation Two was two ninety nine. You know, a Game, Switch, GameCube was a like one ninety nine. Switch was yeah, well, that was two ninety nine. <laughs> That's three hundred. You know, uh, yeah, so. Consoles have only gotten more expensive, and now we're like scratching at 3DO territory, but thankfully not quite there. Uh, but I, I, you know, when when I talk about the S, you know, keep in mind, I, I come at a, you know, I'm super into the technical details and stupidly picky about this stuff in a way that most people aren't. Uh, so I think for a lot of people, something like the Series S is a really good bet, especially if it's like the Xbox isn't your primary machine, right? If you have a gaming PC, you're playing on something else as well. And you're like, oh, I want to get into the Xbox. An S with Game Pass is like an awesome way to do that without breaking the bank. So I think that's what they're going for. Uh, and you have the hardcore fans going for the Series X, and then you have people that are maybe interested in dipping a toe in the Xbox ecosystem going for the S, and it kind of works out. Yeah. I mean, I think that one of the questions I have lingering over the S, just as, because <clears throat> this is obviously Microsoft's play, but I've had people that I know come up to me and ask, you know, what, what, what new console should I buy? And I'm not quite sure that, and these are people like my brother, for example, who, I think every new every console he's had of late has been probably a hand me down from me. Like he doesn't invest a lot of money in games. A couple of other friends as well. Not none none of whom are kind of like the the, the high end gamer with a with a with a really great TV or anything like that. They're probably more like me in that sense. But they are really are not aware that the S is around. They think it's either PS five or it's Xbox, and they're not even really sure what the Xbox is called. None of them were aware there was two models of the Xbox and none of them really seemed to be aware of what Game Pass was either, but they were all interested in getting on board for this generation. So I think the biggest challenge Microsoft has got is making the kind of gamer that Xbox Series S is for aware that Xbox Series S exists and the reason why it's an appealing choice for them. You know, this this combination of $300 up front plus $10 a month or whatever whatever it is in your territory whether or not that message is getting through to the right kind of person, I don't know. Because particularly at this stage, the people that buy on day one are the, your classic high-end gamer that, that wants the bleeding edge visuals. Yeah. Like that, so. See, I think you're you're right. And there, there's a, there is definitely an audience for something like this. For me, it's more like the digital PS5 that's confusing, where it just seems like this like token way to get the price down. But from a value point of view, like saving a hundred bucks just to be locked to their digital storefront exclusively. Uh, I don't know. It sounds unappealing to me. I don't know why I cannot imagine going for that over the actual regular PS five. No, they, I mean, I don't think they can imagine it either. I, I honestly don't know why that console exists. Um, if, I mean, I, I don't know if any of you saw kind of like the discussion around the numbers of available units, but like the available units of the digital PS only PS five were just have been just excruciatingly low. Like no one has been able, no one who actually wanted one was able to get one because there's just so few of them, but it seems like people who wanted a series S were able to get a series S because it's actually a console with a strategy behind it. 
Yeah, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the early days of 360 and PS3 where they just had to introduce this token low-end version that nobody wanted. Like, oh, here's the here's the PS3 with the small hard drive and no card slots, or here's the Xbox 360 that doesn't have a hard drive. You know what I mean? And it's like, it's cheaper, but everybody kind of knows that, well, actually you kind of want the other one. And then it just quietly goes away, which is kind of what I hope happens here. Yeah, well, I think I think for, <laughs> I think on that side of things, it's it's exacerbated by the fact that, that Sony's product strategy, its software strategy, isn't isn't what Microsoft is doing. You know, it doesn't have like a compelling reason to not have a disk drive because the games it's making, it wants to sell them to you at seventy dollars a time. That's its business model. Whereas Microsoft is shifting the other way, a way that that wants you to be interfacing with the digital storefront. So obviously the whole idea of being locked into one store, that's still a very, very important point, but Xbox transcends that somewhat through Game Pass and Sony's kind of making a gesture towards doing that with the PlayStation Classics, is it called? Like again, another off the cuff comment from me, sorry, whoever it was that complains all the time about that. Um, people complaining about getting something for free on the internet is classic, isn't it? Um, but uh, but yeah, but they're they're doing that now as well. So, but it's it's a more of a gesture. There'll be a handful of games that you can get as part of PS Plus and and all of that. But it's not quite a compelling enough reason to to forego a disc drive to save a hundred bucks. Awesome, fantastic. Well, you can always go back and listen to previous episodes of this podcast on all good podcasting platforms, as well as monthly episodes of our two spin-off shows, The Game Developers Playlist and The Five Games Of. Uh, James is not here this week because he's actually busy uploading the latest episode of Five Games Of as we're recording. It's with Guhabala from Bell Adventures uh, talking about the five milestone games of his career. It's really great. Go give that a listen. Um, once you're on that good podcasting platform listening to that, consider subscribing so it'll let you know whenever another episode appears. And you can and should get your daily dose of news and insight into the world behind games at gamesindustry.biz. John Linneman, if somehow, some bizarre reason, people are not already paying attention to your work, where can they find you? Oh, you can find me at youtube.com slash digitalfoundry or eurogamer.net slash digitalfoundry. And I'm over on Twitter at dark1x. Awesome. Go give him a follow. Check out Digital Foundry. They're super great, especially with this next generation, you know, turning the corner here. Um, yeah. Thanks, everybody. Have a good week.